They shoot the shit. They shoot, they shoot the shit. Shoot, 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 shit, shit, shit. Shooting the shit with Chippa. Welcome back, everybody, to Shooting the Shit with Chippa. Yet another show on the internet where I talk with people. Um, today's guest was recently on an episode of the Talkbuster podcast because he's making the movie about um, Blockbuster Video. In fact, the last Blockbuster Video in the world in Bend, Oregon. But today I have him on to talk about a movie that he has that um, should be out or about to come out by the time you hear this. So before we get to uh, my guest reintroducing himself, I'll do a little bit of housekeeping. I'd like to thank my $15 or more patrons, Mason, Christopher Finnick, Patricia Chipman, Hugh K. Campbell Jr., Alex Peregrine, Kevin CV, and Mike the Gatherer. And um, because of my unfortunate car accident last week and me posting about it, um, I've gained a ton of new patrons. So thank you guys so much for wanting to help me out. Um, sometimes it takes something negative happening, I guess, instead of just the um, grand old content that I put out for people to help out. But either way, I really appreciate it. Um, those people are Molly Green, Mike the Gatherer, Jenna Speck, GD, Danielle Martin, Ray DK, Gene Yankin, and Robert V. Aldrich, who um, Robert Aldrich is actually going to be on an episode of this show, either before or after you're hearing this one as well. So th thank you all. And without further ado, um, I would like to reintroduce um, today's guest, Taylor Morden. Taylor, tell the people why you're here today. Uh, hi. First off, thanks for having me. This is uh, a lot of fun. It was fun talking to you the other day. And I'm excited to talk more uh, about ska music, which we touched on last time, but we didn't really get to dive into. Uh, so here I am and happy to talk about ska. Awesome. Yes. Yeah, so the name of your movie is Pick It Up, Ska in the 90s, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yes, sir. And I have not got to see it yet because, um, like I said on my last show, and I'll repeat here, I was recording my first ever live show of the Talkbuster podcast when you guys came to town, but my DVD or Blu-ray, whatever I bought copy is on its way um, or will be on its way. I'm sure. Was it next week that the thing ships? I don't even remember anymore. Uh, yes. Our ship date is the 18th. So a week oh, from today. I can't, I can't wait. Um, so yes, got music. Um, it's awesome to find other people, especially in our age group that are still willing to show themselves in public and talk about it. Cause, um, <laughs> <laughs> we get made fun of so much. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big part of uh, why I wanted to make the movie, you know, cause I've, I've been in ska bands on and off for more than half my life. And, you know, some, some groups of people, it's a really cool thing and everybody's excited about it. But most groups of people, it's like the nerdiest kind of music you could be into and certainly pretty dorky to play it. So uh, finding people that aren't embarrassed to say that they love it is, is uh, you know, it's a really cool thing that, you know, is few and far between. Exactly. I, um, I made sure because I talk so much about how much I, I like it, I, uh, you know, there's, you know, freeware, you know, music out there. Um, there's a guy named, uh, God, whose name I'm going to completely space on right now but he runs a site called Incompetech and he's awesome and he basically just makes free to use as long as you mention his name music and I was mm. like oh I gotta get a ska song on the intro to one of my shows and so I did this hopped ones show which is uh like the hot ones um spicy wing show but with beer okay <laughs> and so we just find weird beers and you know have a conversation like this but while we're drinking you know little samples of weird stuff and my intro song to that is a ska song just done by you know just an inst instrumental 
Yeah. So, you know, my, my buddy had just brought back a toaster shirt. He had seen them in Connecticut in New Haven and was like, oh, man, I got you a shirt because I know that you love this. And me and my buddy, you know, love the, you know, these older ska bands, you know, like Bim Scala Bim. He used to see them all the time on the Cape, you know, and, and all this. And they brought me the shirt and, uh, you know, I played that for him and he listened to it. He loved the show and he goes, yeah, I had to put Scott at the beginning. You're such a dork. And I'm like, I know, I know. <laughs> but yes. Right um, what I was going to say is since you're, you're probably more versed in preparing um, for your movie and everything figured for anyone listening to this, it doesn't quite know what we're talking about. When we talk about Scott, you know, you can say bands, you can say, you know, um, mighty, mighty boss tones, uh, the pie tasters, um, voodoo glow skulls, you know, all, all these different bands that you could mention. Um, but, you know, I always describe it as people that have never heard it before is it's like punk with trumpets. But, <laughs> sure. but, if, also, but if you tell someone ska that's like from the islands or, you know, yeah. they have a completely different view. So give, give the people, if, if you don't mind, a little um, unprovoked, um, you know, history of what of the particular brand that your movie is about and where it comes from. Yeah. So we, we do get into all that in the movie because we. We made it for not just for ska fans, but for anybody who comes at it not knowing. So if you just like music documentaries, you can learn all this stuff. But um, yeah, ska is a type of music that came from Jamaica in the 1950s and has evolved throughout the years. It actually predates reggae music. Um, Reggae kind of evolved out of ska music. It's a slowed down version of it. And of course, everybody knows what reggae music is, so... That's a pretty good jumping off point. Um, the really, really simple definition is that it's a faster version of reggae. You know, it's, you dance faster to it. It's an upbeat dance music um, with an emphasis on the, the offbeats, the upbeats. You know, so instead of the one and the three, it's on the two and the four. Um, a lot of times there's horns, trumpets, trombones, saxophones, but not always. You know, some of the right. best... Ska bands don't have horns, um, but it's certainly what got me into it because I'm a trumpet player. Um, but yeah, it had waves. You know, ska music came in waves. The first wave was in Jamaica in the 50s, and then the second wave or two tone was in uh, Europe in England in the late 70s, and then the third wave the wave we focus on in my movie is uh started the late 80s um but really hit in the mid 90s uh, with bands like real big fish the mighty mighty boss tones early no doubt sublime these are bands people have heard of yeah rancid you know the big radio hit of theirs was a ska song and so you know for a lot of people kind of regular American people in the nineties, that would have been their first and only exposure to ska music. So um, it was the third wave, but to a lot of people, including myself, it was the first time I had heard it because I wasn't quite old enough in the early eighties to be listening to the specials or madness or the selector. Right. Exactly. And same here, my first exposure to it, I was trying to think back to what my very first exposure would be. And I, I can't decide, you know, it's three potential things. It was okay. either, it was either seeing the mighty, mighty Boston's who I had heard of because they were local to Boston, but mm-hmm. I was, you know, 
I was eight when they were first huge, right? So right. it was seeing um, Clueless. My cousin, my cousin yeah. was babysitting us, and she had just, you know, you know, seen Clueless that summer with her friends, and she rented it and was like, "Oh, you know, you guys will love this movie." And I heard, um, you know, the Boston's in it at that club or that dance scene that they were in, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Oh my god, I want to hear more music like that." What is that? You know, even at like yeah. eight years old. But then HBO had a show called Reverb, and they okay. they did they did an episode on the pie tasters. And my mm-hmm. parents had HBO, and I used to just watch whatever was on late at night. You know, probably ended up seeing some stuff I shouldn't have, but but I also saw this, and yeah. um, and you know the out all night and a, a few other um, early pie tasters songs, and I'm like, oh, this is great. And then there was also um in my high school, so I would have been 14 now at this point. Um, but I know I'd heard of this band before because when my brother started high school, I was, you know, in like sixth grade, fifth grade. So I was still only like 10, 12 years old was this band called Dow Jones and the Industrials. Now there was a like a punk like rock band from the 70s called Dow Jones and the Industrials, which makes it hard to find these other guys because they were much smaller. <laughs> yeah. But um, John Frederick, who was the lead singer of this band, they were, you know, I don't think all the time they had a trumpet player, they would supplement it for keyboards, you know, mm-hmm. like, like a lot of them would do, but they, um, they would play our, um, football, uh, like homecoming, you know, like rah, rah, rah events in school. They'd get, you know, Dow Jones up on the stage, you get the crowd yeah. going and yeah. you know, they, they played all the local church basements, you know, so we'd go see these guys and then they ended up opening for big D in the kids table and, um, kicked uh-huh. in the head. You know, and all these like Boston area, um, hardcore ska punk bands, and it just, you know, never stopped. Um, I've I've probably, I've probably seen less than Jake and Real Big Fish over ten times each now. You know, I uh, I I just love this stuff. So that, what was your um, what was the band? Can you can you cite it back to a single band that was your earliest exposure or? My first, yeah, consciously I can. I I'm sure, like you, I had heard it before I. Saw Clueless. I had the Clueless soundtrack and loved the Boston song on it, but I didn't know what that was, you know. Um, and just like I had heard uh, Rancid's Time Bomb on the radio, and even oh yeah, uh, there's some ska on No Doubt's Tragic Kingdom album that literally everybody had, uh, and the same with Sublime. So I had heard I always like I always like to play Oi to the World for people. Um, no yeah. doubts version of that because they go holy shit they really were a ska band i'm like yes they yeah. were <laughs> yeah yeah and if you're like me and you really love tragic kingdom and then went back and bought their like the beacon street collection and the self-titled uh, there's a lot of ska on their first couple of oh, records yeah. um but i i didn't know what that was or what it was called i just uh oh i like the whole clueless soundtrack you know there's a coolio song on there too and i'm like i like this and i like that i don't know i was also uh 14 years old so (laughs) i don't know much about music at the time but i think the next year i was in high school and i had a lot of friends who were um uh very religious they had very christian families and they were only allowed to listen to christian music um, and I sat next to one of these kids in science class and we were swapping CDs to listen to. And I borrowed, uh, a five iron frenzy CD. So good. And, and it blew my mind. Cause you know, it was it's really horn heavy, really fast punk ska. 
it and I was a trumpet player at the time and it really kind of clicked in my brain is like wow this is this is the kind of music for me you know I'm this geeky band kid and I love punk rock I had been you know listening to like no effects and lag wagon and bands like that and it just sparked something so I you know borrowed the cd made a tape off of it and that was that was my entry and then I went immediately to the record store and there were you know this was when ska was hitting so probably within a year from there I had all the you know the boss tones albums that were out at the time and the real big fish and the less than jake um i think losing streak was their album that was out then and yes, it was. Nine, save ferris you know i basically turned my back on most of the other kinds of music i liked and just was super into ska and within a year from then i was playing trumpet in a local ska band and never looked back that's awesome that's like, like i said on the last show that's a dream of mine would be to even yeah. even for one show would be to sing in, in a ska cover band regular ska doesn't matter to me it just it's you can't not have fun i um oh. i turned my sister on to less than jake when she was first getting into you know like i think when she was in high school the years of us and so she didn't there was nothing like it you know, for her, but she had heard the boss tones and everybody. So I just started downloading these records. So when she got married, she did karaoke for her wedding. And I had, you know, them throw a less than Jake song on and me and her got out in the middle of her crowd in Cancun and had a giant circle pit and ah. were singing. And it was, it was just awesome. And she loved it. And, and I loved it. God, I, I had a circle pit at my wedding. We played some real big fish and some nice. Everyone's in their it's you know, it you can't not have a good time, and that's what I've always liked about it. it's music for the nerdy kids partying. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's it's but everyone can get into it, but it doesn't it never really had outside of some of the lead singers and some of the bands, the, the music, the genre, the scene never really had a douchey um undertone to it. There wasn't really a whole lot of aggression there. It was it was a lot of yeah. just, you know, good time, you know, and, and I like that. And I like you said, when you think back that it kind of came from reggae, that that makes a lot of sense, right? Because, uh, you know, outside of the music hitting some darker themes, you know, it was always about, hey, you know, get together. The world will be all right. <laughs> you know, kind of a thing going on that has always sure. struck me. It's always yeah. struck me. And there was a lot of there's a lot of politics in Scott, especially in the two tone era and all oh, that yeah. of, uh, serious issues in the boss tones really kind of held on to that throughout their career and they still do that and and that's great and like bands like fishbone you know very oh. political but the music you know angelo from fishbone told us like he loves putting like political messages in this really happy accessible music right exactly fun and it might make you think a little bit but you know it's kind of subversive to sneak in your political message into the really happy upbeat music and i love that about the genre me too it's you know it like like you said it it approaches issues that you know some people are going to run away from you know like a really even though i love these bands too but like a rage against the machine in the system of a down bands like that they're they they get to you by like you know almost like aggressive like um 
injecting themselves into your, you know, like, I'm, I'm just going to come and break down this wall. This music is kind of like, oh, yeah, you're sitting around, you know, just relaxing, having a good time with some friends dancing around. And it's like, oh, wait, no, shit, that sucks. We should do something yeah. about that. Right. Right. And, you know, you got like a Spotify playlist and it'll be a song about beer and a song about having a good time and a song about breaking up with your girlfriend. Then one about how shitty racism is and how everybody should be kind to each other. It's like that's that gets you into bands like the Suicide Machines. Yeah. You're just like, oh, yeah. Wow. God damn. You guys aren't happy. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I love those guys. Oh, yeah, me too. They're fantastic. It's it's funny that you mentioned Fishbone. They're one of the ones that I should have found earlier, but I found them later. And I can't remember how I found. I think they were like a festival band in a horror movie. It might have been okay. Shrooms. It was one of these. No, no. It was a movie where someone was dressed up like a like an ex-president. Run, maybe Reagan okay. running around with an axe chopping people up during. But the movie was actually pretty good. I think um, uh, David Arquette directed it, as weird as this sounds. Right after like the screen movies came out, David Arquette made a horror movie and he was really good buddies with the guys in Fishbone, I guess. And they're they're headlining the festival that the movie's taking place during. So a lot of these like horror scenes are to the tune of Fishbone music. Oh, that's great. It's such a weird movie. I loved it. And I think that was my first exposure to them. I'd heard a whole bunch of their songs, but I'd never mm-hmm. been like, holy crap, that's these guys. All right. Yeah. Yeah, I think my first exposure to them was was seeing them. I think they were on tour in the early 2000s and they came through town and it was one of those, their live show. And it's same for most ska bands, but, you know, seeing it live in a room is just, it blows you away. There's, it's there's no real experience like seeing a big, tight ska band, you know, eight people on the stage just blasting away at this, really fun music in a room full of people who are having the time of their lives. You know, everybody's dancing, everybody's singing along. It's well, right. I had been, you know, I had been way into it at the time period that you, you just mentioned, you know, the, the time of like losing streak and, you know, save mm-hmm. Ferris, all that was. And then when the world stopped paying attention and it stopped being played on the radio, you know, I, I, still follow that music and we go to all the festival shows but you know even like the bands like less than jake real big fish you know they they started you know turning down the horns turning up kind of the punk rock not that any of the music was ever bad it was just more of like a marketable to the the way that you know maybe get themselves on the radio and that was still a big deal but i went and saw from a recommendation from a friend when i was in college they're like if you loved these bands in like 1995 you've got to go see streetlight manifesto and I had never heard of Streetlight yeah. Manifesto, but I had heard of Catch-22. And I was yeah. like, oh, oh, so so it's like that. And when Streetlight, when the lights came up on Streetlight and all I saw was their like five-person horn section at the very <laughs> front. And they start with like that and they, they do the Johnny Comes Marching Home thing for the intro. And I'm like, this is my new favorite band. Whatever <laughs> they play next, I'm going to love all of it. <laughs> and it was incredible. You ever get a chance to see those guys? I, I bet they're in your movie, for Christ's sakes. But. Uh, yeah, yeah. We've got a couple of guys um, who were in both Catch-22 and Streetlight, um, the early, early lineup of Streetlight. And yeah. um, uh, I saw them a few times while making the movie because we were uh, trying to track down Mephiscopheles, and they were opening that last tour. <laughs> and then Streetlight also played the Back to the Beach Festival 
that we were filming at. So got to see them a few times. They're, uh, they're a little bit like they were never one of the bands I was really listening to. Um, their live show is fantastic, but it's, that, it's, that's exactly what hooked me is I saw the live yeah. show and I'm like, I, I need all of this. I will take, tell you this for, for being a ska band that, um, they don't write ska friendly songs. That's mm-hmm. the weirdest part, right? Is they are very theme oriented and I don't think their more recent album had a song less than five minutes on it. So it's not a, it's weird for a ska album that you kind of have to sit down and like consume. It's like a meal instead of just like putting it on and sitting around and dancing. Yeah. And they're, they're in the ska spectrum, but they're definitely not a ska band. You know, right. they, they do a lot of different kinds of music and the same is true of the mighty, mighty boss tones. And a lot of these bands, they do all kinds of music and ska is just one of them. Exactly. Exactly. My, my first run in with the boss tones physically is they, uh, they do a thing in Boston every year called the hometown throwdown. And back in the day, it was free. Um, And it was on City Hall Plaza on the stone steps. So think about running a ska show there. And they would have um, they would have the mayor up on stage dancing with them. Uh, And it was just a grand old time. And it was absolute chaos. And then the following year from the first time I saw them free, I went to uh, Warp Tour in 2000. And they headlined the Warp Tour in 2000 on Suffolk Downs in Boston with Green Day. And this was right before Warning hit. So Green Day had kind of been not, not no one liked them. They were just kind of like not a huge draw. And right. people could, like, they actually, because of that year, were not allowed to hold that festival there anymore because of how <laughs> crazy the end of the show got. So when the Boston's finally got on stage, they cut the power. They were like, you know what, the show's over, and so they brought everyone on stage and did an acapella set, <laughs> and I thought that was incredible. That's so cool. So yeah, so 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 your movie. So you had said you you did a documentary about the the refreshments, the singer of the refreshments. Yeah, yeah. And is that did fun. did that kind of tie into this, or was what um what kind of brought pick it up to the to the world? What, what made it happen? Yeah, I mean, that movie was fun to do. And, you know, Refreshments were one of my favorite bands back in the 90s. And hearing their story and getting to help tell their story was was really fun and kind of hooked me on documentary filmmaking. And so when it came time to do the next one, I mean, Ska was kind of the obvious choice for me as a person who played in Ska bands for 20 years um but it's a much bigger story you know it's a whole genre instead of one band so uh had to bring in more people and raise more money and it took longer and everything was bigger um but yeah it was kind of a natural progression from that as far as just filmmaking and what was the next thing and even back when i was in high school, I was probably listening to the refreshments right before I discovered ska music. So, right, <laughs> paralleling what I was doing in high school now, and the same with the blockbuster movie that I'm still working on. It's all I can't seem to get myself out of the '90s. There's nothing wrong with that because there's obviously, as you can tell, plenty of people that um that can't either, which yeah. is which is which is why they keep listening to and watching the stuff you and I make. It's true. Yeah. 
money sign, money sign, money sign. No, I'm yeah. just kidding. Uh, um, but yeah, so no, so that that's wild. So where where did the movie take you? Like, were you did you primarily stay in the U.S. to fall to catch up with bands, or did you go everywhere? We went everywhere. We did a lot of um, remote shooting where we'd hire a, a camera person, and I would just be on Skype or something because we we had a budget, but we didn't have a huge budget. It's still what they call a micro budget um, independent film and um, couldn't afford to go everywhere. So uh, we did a lot of filming in California and uh, up the West Coast, up in Oregon too, which is where I live. Uh, We shot in Texas, we did New York, Mexico, Australia, Japan, and we did, we talked to a lot of the bands from around the world, but what we did is we'd wait for them to come to us, right? So we'd film at these ska festivals where there'd be, you know, bands from all over the world who came in, and that's where we met up with, like, guys from the Specials or from the Scatolites who... Oh, yeah. They're from all over the place, but they were all at these festivals. So it was, it was pretty difficult to fit, you know, people are there for a, a festival. So they have a set to play, they have rehearsals, they have all these engagements and I'm trying to, you know, okay, we can squeeze you in, in between these other two bands. And now I got spring Hill Jack then, and then we're, then we got to meet with Jay from the suicide machines. And then, okay, then you're here and there. And that is, so it was a lot of trying to squeeze things in, but that was the only way we could kind of afford to, meet with all these bands as we went to the places where they were gathering. Right. Right. Wow. That's, that's So how long was the production? Uh, it was about two full years. Wow. Um, we started planning not long after my first movie came out. So early, um, maybe late 2016, and then, uh, yeah, we started filming in 2017. First shoot was here in Bend, Oregon. The Voodoo Glow Skulls were coming through town. Love we didn't those really guys. have a plan. Yeah, they're fantastic. We didn't really have a plan or, you know, an outline for the movie or anything. We just thought, well, we really want to make a ska movie. And the Voodoo Glow Skulls are coming to town, so maybe I'll line up an interview. And we did. And then, you know, that was the only thing we had filmed for a while before we planned the first California trip. And that was, uh, I was just me and my producer, Ray, who also played in ska bands for most of his life. Uh, we just drove down to California and scheduled interviews with whoever we could get, who we kind of knew from back in the day. And we, you know, it was like being in a, an independent band on tour. We slept on people's floors and couches and, and, shot everything ourselves, didn't have any any kind of a budget or anything. And we just, it was all word of mouth. We called people we knew and they called people they knew. And we lined up these interviews and we shot our first like six interviews in over the course of this one week trip up and down the West Coast. Uh, we we're actually following the Toasters. So we were trying to interview Bucket from the Toasters. Yep. And they were playing in Southern California. So we went to Southern California, but the timing didn't work out. So we followed him to Northern California and then we followed him to Oregon 
And then we finally caught up with him in Portland, um, like a week after we had started <laughs> trying to get this interview done. So it's, it's, uh, it takes a lot of work. It takes a certain kind of, you know, punk rock DIY ethic to pull something like that off. We're just loading in a car and following these people around. Right. I, I imagine it also takes the, the content meaning something to you, right? Like I, that's the thing I like about documentary filmmaking and talking to people that work on them so much is, you know, there's a, there's a passion to it that you kind of mm-hmm. need. Right. Yeah. Cause you're going to be stuck with that content. Like I said, for years, and um, you want to put out some, and like you chose, you choose to do happy things or like upbeat, which I think is, you know, a really cool point that I didn't even think of. Yeah, I mean, it's my company name is Pop Motion Pictures, right? Because I like pop culture and I like things that make people smile, and I like bright colors and and upbeat music, and <laughs> I, I like talking to people about things that make them happy because then everybody's happy. Um, oh, absolutely, so. dude! No, this these interviews with you, man, have been like um, have been like just candy for me. It's just wonderful. <laughs> like I, I go back to work, I'm recording these during work. Sorry, job. And, um, they, they, it just puts a big smile on my face. Cause it's like, I'm finding all these people that just care about the same stuff as me. And it makes me so happy. And it, it's not like a fake care. You know, you get some people like, you know, you get like a friend and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, that's interesting. But it's like, no, you, you we, we lived it separately, but love it just as much. Yeah. And that's the fun part about making these documentaries is everybody, you know, you ask people, Hey, do you want to be in a movie about ska music? And the people that say yes and schedule the time and are willing to sit down and do it, they also really love it, you know? So when you finally get there and you're sitting and talking about this thing that a lot of people don't know about and some people hate, but the people who love it, love it. It's just, it's a joy. It's a pleasure to do that. And, you know, some people, you know, we talk to people who don't play in ska bands anymore, but used to, and just watching their face light up when they remember the good times and the shows and the crowds and the parties and all that. It's kind of magical. Yeah, it, it definitely is. Now my, um, my first big exposure, you know, now, you know, you've got Spotify, YouTube, you know, playlists and all this, but I don't know about you, but I found the majority outside of, you know, seeing them live at a show, of all the early ska bands off of the uh, Punkorama compilations. Do you remember those? Oh yeah. Yeah. We actually, we have a whole segment in the movie about compilations because they were such a huge part of the ska community and getting it out there. And it was, yeah, things like Punkorama and the, the warp tour comps Yep, and um, give them the boot and, you know, all these ska based compilations and they were cheap too. Like I'd go to the record store and the comps would always be, you know, four bucks or eight bucks at the most. And the other CDs were 15, 16 bucks at the time. So I would, you know, half my CD collection was these compilations and you'd find these bands and, and I didn't have a lot of money, so I couldn't buy all their albums. Right. But I could buy all these comps and, and you'd see them on these shows. And I'd only know the one song from the comp, but the live show would still blow you away every time. And then you usually could buy their album at the show. It'd be a few bucks cheaper and you get to buy it from the band and get the autographs and all that. So <laughs> yeah, that was the best part. The face yeah. to a name part was always my favorite. Like we, me and my buddy Sean would go and, you know, I think the year we bought, 
I think Punkorama three and four may have come out in the same year, and they okay. both came and they both came out right before Warp Tour. So you know we we got them, and then like you know every band that's on, on those two comps is at that show, right? I mean yeah. you even had that. That was probably the year, if I'm not mistaken, that Refused was on the Warp Tour, and you know they had one album. You know what I mean? And at the time, you know, and it's like, holy shit. And th- that was my exposure to the Voodoo Glow Skulls was they were on every single Punkorama album. And I'm like, I-, I need to see these guys. And I finally got to and they were just so amazing. Yeah. And yeah, so, were- you know, awesome. comps have comps have kind of gone the way of the dodo. I mean, they still exist, but, you know, but I found something recently and I don't know if you've heard it. And I'm going to forget the name of the album, but I was listening to... um uh, Sirius XM the before uh, before their punk station became like one of the high 300s that you can't get now unless you subscribe to it on your phone or something. They had a channel. I'm going to forget the name of it now. The Jason Ellis show and everything was on it. Um, but it was like a punk, you know, punk. They, they played punk and like early gangster rap and hard rock. Okay. So it was like a weird mix. And they had a guy who had been producing a rancid cover album. It was like a 30th anniversary Rancid cover album. So it was a two CD set. Mm-hmm. And because Rancid had such a Ska influence on a lot of their songs, most of the bands they had covering even the non-Ska songs were all like Ska bands from all over the world. So this right. album this album was the first time I had ever heard The Interrupters, you know? Oh, yeah. and, yep. and they're and they're huge. Yeah, and I didn't know. Like they, they actually people like that don't even like Ska like them. You know, yeah. and I'm like, oh, and they sound, you know, like someone just took early no doubt and just, you know, transplanted it into right now like that. And I, and I love and some of their songs, you know, they go all over the place. But um, but I had heard this band, uh, I think they're from Mexico. They could be from somewhere else called Inspector. Have you mm-hmm. ever heard these guys? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, un- unbelievable. And they do like two or three covers on this thing. And. If you haven't heard it, I forget the name of the album and I feel bad because I didn't think I was going to say it, but it is it is a prime equivalent of like how I felt the first time I grabbed like a give them the boot or something like that and put it on. And I'm like, I want to hear all these bands and a quarter of them aren't even singing in English and it doesn't matter, (laughs) you know? Yeah, that's that's a huge thing that the ska scene in the Latino community um, basically picked up right after it died out in the 90s. Um, for you know the bands, the mainstream bands, it it sparked something there, and it has grown. And there's a ton of just amazing bands, and you know a lot of them sing in Spanish, some sing in English, but they don't even speak English. They just sing in English because they, you know, they were influenced by bands like Less Than Jake and the Voodoo Glow Skulls and things like that. But that scene is huge. They do these festivals in Southern California and Mexico that are thousands and thousands of people at and they're straight up ska shows of just it's tons of bands that nobody's heard of really in the states um but the the following is huge and that's another you know we do get into the current state of ska in the movie and that's a big part of it that and the interrupters too being on the radio now it's you know if you'd asked me when we started making this movie if a ska band was going to be in top 40 radio when the movie came out, I'd say there's no way, there's no chance, you know, that ska will be played on mainstream radio in 2019. And it happened. And here we are. And 
And the craziest part of it, right, is, you know, you'd think not not to discredit, you know, Tragic Kingdom or any or anything like that at all, because that I still have my original copy of that. You know what I mean? Like that's that's a huge album. But it's only later looking back on it that I recognize that a lot of that was a sky influenced album. Right. But the interrupters, they're not they're not hiding or changing the genre at all to get on the radio. They dress like a ska band. Their videos yep. are ska videos. They're, they're songs that they, they fit right into that, that Tim Armstrong contingent of we're not putting on a show for anybody. You either like this or you don't. And I'm like, Holy shit. Like that's awesome. <laughs> that in 2019, they can be dressing like your band nerd friends, yep. you know, from high school. Yeah. No, the watching what's happened with them has been really awesome for, for me, because I, you know, I got to interview them when they were just starting to take off. And like uh, my buddy Billy from Real Big Fish, who helped set up a lot of the shoots with us, uh, is playing trombone with the Interrupters now. And they're touring and doing these crazy festivals and these crazy big sold out shows all over the world. And it's just really neat to see, and especially like the young people who get into it. And then maybe they do discover all these other bands, you know, because nobody on mainstream radio sounds like the interrupters. So you hear it and then maybe you ask your parents, what is this music? And your parents say, Hey, have I got news for you? And here's, you know, eight mighty, mighty boss tones albums to check out. <laughs> yes. Just, just, just don't, just don't meet the lead singer. No, I'm just kidding. I, we, from oh. Boston. We, we like to shit on Dickie Barrett around here in oh. Boston, but he's, but he's a good guy. I'm okay. just fucking around. I, I it's, it's, it's an old fashioned Boston joke. Um, gotcha. that, uh, that Dickie Barrett, the joke was always, um, horns in the front asshole in the back, you know, <laughs> but it's the other way around with the Boston's, but it's, yeah. it's mostly, it's mostly because, um, early on in the scene that there was a lot of trash talking between a bunch of different bands around here. Um, so it just became like an ingrained thing. I love those guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're, they're fantastic. And we, um, Dickie did not want to be in the movie. So we, we interviewed, uh, Tim, their saxophone player, who's been there yep. from the beginning, and he's a great guy, and he had all the great stories to tell. Uh, but yeah, Dickie, Dickie has been a little aloof throughout the whole process. Yeah, he's you know he's just he's him. Uh, my uh, my buddy, I, I work with a guy who's actually the guy who did sound for my um, my live talkbuster recording, who used to work all the festivals in Boston as a sound guy, and you know he said that. Uh, you know, him and a couple of guys used to um get the uh, get the Boston's into places when they were underage, and I think that's really funny. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> Dickie's a little bit older, but the rest of the guys are, you know, the, the rest of the guys are not. I, I think he might have been ten years older than the youngest guy in the band when they started. So there's that. Well, and they've been doing it forever. You know, thirty five years, something yeah. crazy like that. <laughs> so. There's is a that's wild. really interesting stories because they're, you know, they had their moment. They had there was a summer when they were number one on MTV, number one on the radio. They had two singles in the top ten, but that's just a blip if you look at their whole career because they put out a bunch of albums before that, and they've put out a bunch of albums since that, and they're very consistent. You know, yes, they are. They were great in the '80s, and they're great now. <laughs> just the only one time and the clueless thing too but that brief blip where they were in the pop culture zeitgeist 
And so that's awesome. It's like a weird anomaly if you look at their whole career. Yeah, it's it, it's amazing because it's it's hard to find people that don't know who they are. That's that's I'm like they've surprised. at least well at least, <laughs> at least you know for 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 me you know what I mean yeah. you you, you, you play you, you know different. and 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 it's just impressive because it's like. You know, they might, they may not even know the name of the band, but they've heard the song and it's like, oh, all right. It's like, but there's a whole bunch of other music like this. Oh, what's it called? He's gone. They go, oh, that dumb stuff. No, I don't like that. It's like, you like the Boston's? How can you not like the rest of it? Yeah. And Scott got a bad rep, you know, it was associated with um, just being silly and wacky. And, you know, for a long time, the main place you would hear it would be like in kids movies and kids TV shows. Um, and like really hokey commercials and things like that. You still hear it. Like it's all over Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network. Um, for whatever reason, it got associated with being this silly. I think it's because the music itself sounds fun. You know, if you take out the lyrics, it's just kind of this upbeat, almost cartoony kind of sound. But that's a lot of people just think of it as that. Like it's only that. And that's a bummer. I, uh, you know, in, you're, you're 100% right about it still being in kids shows. My daughter um, watches a lot of Disney Junior and there's a show on Disney Junior called Tots and it's, you okay. know, like the storks basically. And there's a penguin and a um, pink flamingo that are storks, you know, it's silly and she loves it. And it, it's a fine show. It's adorable. But their opening theme song is a ska song. Like there's, nice. there's no ifs, ands or buts around it. And I'm like, oh, all right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's one written for the show, but I'm like I'm sitting there going, there's there's no escaping the fact that that's what this is. Um, another one that I can't remember, and maybe maybe you have data on remembering this is you remember all that, right? Oh yeah, and you remember Good Burger? Oh yeah. How there was there was that song that Kel sang. I'm a dude, he's a dude. Was that yeah. a less than Jake song before or after that show? Oh. That's the thing. Did they write it because of the show? Because it's a song in the movie Good Burger, but I don't know yeah. if they just recorded it for the show. You know, I don't know 100%. We do talk about it in the movie. We asked Less Than Jake about that. Um, but not that specific question about when it was written. Knowing Less Than Jake, I would guess that it was already written because they, you know, they're so prolific. They write 50 songs a year or something. Something crazy yes, like they that. they do. Yes, um, they do. They, they they are my they are my favorite band, and it's nice. weird. It took me a while. It took me a while to get to that point because people like, but you like so many bands that are better than them. And I say it depends on what you mean by better, because right. there is no band that can elicit the same response out of me as them. Like if if their music comes on, I'm in the best mood in the world. Yeah, do you know what I mean. And that and whether that's a nostalgia thing. Or, or what it is. That, and it doesn't matter if it's new. It doesn't matter if it's old. It doesn't matter if it's songs of theirs that people have decided aren't as good. It just is something mm -hmm. about their sound, the, the harmonies and, and the vocals, the specifics yeah. of the bass line. And the, it's just something about them um, and the genre in general. But, you know, um, they they just don't stop, those guys. No, no their work ethic is unparalleled. Those guys have been... You know, they've been this independent band. They had a couple run-ins with some major labels, but for the most part, they've been this independent band for, what, 25 years, 30 years almost? Yes, I think it's 30. Yeah, and 
just they never stop. They work so hard. And they put out all this great music and they're always touring and they're always doing all these awesome things. And they're some of the nicest guys too. like making this yeah. movie. They were so helpful and so like just on board and ready to help out, you know, digging Roger up Lee- home videos and stuff for us. Roger <laughs> Lima friended me on Pokemon Go, the bassist. Ah, so nice. Yeah. So that makes me cool, I guess. Yeah. But <laughs> Playing Pokemon with less than Jake. There you go. It's awesome. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad. I, again, they're they're one of the main reasons I can't wait to see the movie. They've they've always been very upfront. They let out so much material of theirs. You know, mm-hmm. like so many videos. I, I have a whole bunch of DVDs they've put out of just like tour videos and. Yeah, uh, they've always been real. Like, it's like they want everyone to know who they are. You know. They're honest, and they and and they want it to be legit. It's like it's it's pure. It's it's like I, like we talked about with the interrupters look and sound. Is they're they're not trying to reinvent this to make it accessible to you. They're trying to show you that it was always accessible, and you just have to give it a chance. And and right. I think that's great. Yeah, and less than Jake, they're not even, you know, necessarily classified as a ska band. You know, they're very nope. punk rock, and they're very much in both worlds you know they're the most punk rock band at the ska show or the only band with horns at the punk rock show exactly well in both places and it's a really cool the really cool thing and that that kind of cross genre uh appeal is is very cool no, you you had said at the beginning. I want to circle back to it because I I had a thought in my head. You know, me I, I was I was brought up you know Catholic as well. So a lot of my band exposure early on was you know the actual good parts of the Christian music genres and you mm-hmm. know ska and punk. Ska, there were a lot of great bands that came out. You know, you mentioned Five Iron Frenzy, um, MXPX, not not a ska band, but you know same thing was another huge one that I had been you know turned on to, but. Do you think, particularly in the ska genre, there's, um, I, I wouldn't say just from Christianity, but from like parochial, more you know, like um, uh, rules-oriented backgrounds, you know, the because the fact that ska is like, okay, I know a classical instrument, and this is my, you know, like relax and hang out and have a good time way of using that, you know, like mm-hmm. you get, you know, really classically trained rock guitarists end up forming, you know, like a thrash metal band because they just want to jerk, joke around, you know? Mm-hmm. So do you think that um, just from the people you've talked to or, you know, and from your experience that that's kind of, you're more apt, you know, because it definitely is a more nerdy, you know, more um, band geek, but does that, you know, kind of more parochial Catholic rules oriented background kind of breed kids that go into that? Well, I think that background breeds kids that, you know, pick up a saxophone or a trumpet right. as their, you know, it's it's either that or violin, and violin will only get you into yellow card and no place Woo! else. Uh, but so I think the ska bands is really interesting as a horn player too, because there was a little bit of a divide, and the horn players oftentimes did come from these different backgrounds. And you'd have, you know, the drummer, the bass player, the guitar player would be more of the rock and roll or the punk rock kids. And then you'd have these horn sections, which sometimes were punk rock kids, but sometimes were, you know, these really 
you know, straight laced um, honor roll, you know, Dungeons and Dragons kids, which is what I was, not honor roll. But um, yeah, you'd have people from all different backgrounds getting together in a garage somewhere and playing the same music. And that, I think, really comes through in the scene, too, because the people who listen to the music come from all these different backgrounds as well. And that was always the thing with ska music is it was very inclusive. You know, anybody could right. go to a ska show. It wasn't like a, a punk rock show where if you didn't look right or you didn't fit in, you know, there would be some trouble. It was like you could go to a ska show. You could be a geeky kid. You could be a punk rock kid. You could be a, a jock. You could be from any walk of life and and fit in. And there were the hardcore ska kids, right, who would have the really nice vintage suit or the, you know, the the perfect look and whatever, but you didn't have to have that. Right. Right, because oh. I certainly didn't. I right, was I, did. I was I, I was the kid in like the kickwear pants with the chain wallet and the spiked oh, yeah. green hair that looked like he should probably be at a corn show. Um, but at every ska show, because I, my look and my music didn't necessarily mix. <laughs> right. But you were never going to be the odd man out because there's always going to be, you know, maybe there's somebody like dressed up like a clown or somebody in a weird, almost Halloween costume. And then there'd be people dressed super normal and people, you know, it was kind of like anything. Exactly. I, I don't know if they, um, if they even would classify or be on the radar of um, of a movie like this or even on your radar. But have you ever heard of the World Inferno Friendship Society? I have not. I love them. I would I would highly recommend checking them out. Again, this is this is about your movie, but they they seem they're like a weird outlier of like a subgenre of the scene. I think what they I think what they declassify themselves is they classify themselves as circus punk, I okay. think is the word they use. But they have like 30 members, so you only get like six. You only get like six of them at a show. It's more like a of a cult than a band. Like their 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 following is pretty insane. But um, they they're from Brooklyn, and the, the reason they're on my radar is they just they do a show on Halloween every year, and so a buddy of mine from work goes and comes back with photos and talks about it. But so you if you go to a show of theirs, you'll get a punk show one time. And then you'll get a ska show the other time because their horn section will show up. So you get different versions of the music depending on who comes. Because there's so many of and, them. Yeah, and it's 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 really cool. And they, you know, they they all it's a bunch of hipsters, so they all dress, you know, like um, you know, in like the old vintage suits, and they write concept albums about um old Hollywood, you know, film actors and directors, and it's very but they their ska songs are just such amazingly classically awesome ska songs. You sit there and go, oh, I would love to see them play a show with any of these other bands. Um, but they get kind of fit into the more obscure, you know, indie rock kind of shows mm -hmm. than anything else. But uh, just, just wondering if you had ever heard of them. Um, so oh, what I, look them up. Oh, they're great. Yeah, they're, it's, it's like the world slash Inferno Friendship Society because they want to be weird. Um, sure. but they're, but they're, but they're great. Um, I, if you hear the album addicted to bad ideas is the first album yeah. of theirs I heard and it's wonderful. Um, but yeah, so I was going to say, you said you chased around the toasters for a week to get an interview. Were they the longest, um, uh, or most difficult interview you had to get for this or were um, there other people that were harder to track down? 
I mean, there were some people that were touring or just busy, and so it would take months to find a time, you know, and we were busy too. So scheduling some of these took a long, long time. And some people like um, uh, John Feldman from Goldfinger. Um, oh, we hadn't even talked about them yet. Yeah, Goldfinger. Oh, yeah. yeah, Goldfinger's fantastic. Love Goldfinger. And we had reached out to him. I don't remember when it was, but he was like, yeah, sounds great. Ska movie. And, you know, he's producing the new Blink-182 album at the time and doing all these things and Goldfinger's touring and all these things are happening. So I think it took like nine months to schedule <laughs> to fit it in and make that happen. And he was one of the last people we filmed with. But that, that happened a lot. And the same with, you know, we had Tim Armstrong narrate it and he's a pretty busy guy. <laughs> so... That's amazing. I had forgot that till you said that right now. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah. So scheduling with him was was a little bit tricky. Um but that was did you did you write fun. did you write his narration or did he um kind of just we wrote, watch it and, and talk? He took a little bit of liberties, but we wrote it. Um actually I had a wonderful author named Heather Augustin who's written four books on ska music. Oh. And we had interviewed her for the movie, you know, as a historian, because she knows everything about the genre. And after the interview, it just occurred to me, if we're going to have somebody write, you know, these scripted sections to bridge all these gaps, uh, it better be her. You know, she's she's like the expert. So we reached back out and had her do all the writing because, you know, I learned a lot about Scott making this movie, but I still don't know 10% of what she knows. Oh, of course, you know, and I'm I'm glad to talk to someone with with as much of a knowledge as you, you know, because most of the conversations I have with people is me trying to convince them to listen to it. You yeah. know, every, everyone I know that likes it as much as me, you know, we don't, you know, we just listen to it. You know, we don't sit around, you know, picking it apart. So it's, yeah. it's good. Yeah. And but, Tim um, Armstrong, Tim Armstrong actually is a huge wealth of knowledge and kind of a historian himself. And so. You know, I first met with him to talk about the project and just listening to him talk about the history and the the musicality of it and why he loves Scott. He was always like the Scott guy in the punk rock band. So he um, he brought a lot of that that passion and that knowledge to the project that I, don't, I can't think of anybody else who would have been as perfect for that as he was. That's awesome. Now, did she did she write um like the segues and stuff after you kind of had the thing cobbled together or was it like you had yeah. like sections figured out we had a little bit of an outline and we had to write a lot of stuff and we didn't use all of it because you know at the time we had a rough cut and it was i think five hours long of the movie. of course of course uh, a lot of topics in there and there's a lot to cover and like i said we only really focus on the third wave on the 90s boom of ska but in order to set that up you have to cover all of it and so there's just a lot of a lot of story a lot of information and we still wanted to make it fun and funny and interesting so we keep a lot of these anecdotes and kind of non sequiturs in there that to me make it funny and make it human you know it's not just a history lesson because 
who wants to watch that? Uh, I know, so, and, and, that, and that shouldn't be what a ska movie should be anyways. It needs to be fun, right? Exactly, exactly. And so, yeah, she wrote a lot, and we narrowed it down quite a bit before we had Tim record it. So there's not, you know, we didn't have him record all this extra stuff that we didn't use. There's only one or two things that got cut after that. So the writing happened once we had a five-hour cut, and then the recording happened once we were closer to two hours, and then we cut it down to an hour and 40. So had you, had you worked with or talked to Tim Armstrong at all before doing this movie? No, no, I had never That's met him. so there. nuts. I'd never even seen Rancid, um, just for whatever reason. It never, never came up. You know, they weren't on the tours, on the, you know, the festivals that I ended up going to. Um, I was a huge fan. Operation Ivy and Rancid were, were a big deal, you know, for ska and for punk rock for me. Uh, so getting to work with him was, was awesome. It was just the coolest thing. And it happened kind of out of the blue. And we were hiring a narrator. We were reaching out to Hollywood people. We had just gotten turned down from Oscar Isaac from Star Wars. Uh, oh, post- yeah. Because he used to play in a ska band, and we no shit. Yeah, yeah, he did, and we reached out, and you know we had been talking back and forth with his quote unquote people, and he thought the project was cool, but was a little bit busy filming, you know, uh, Rise of Skywalker, <laughs> so couldn't couldn't make it hey, work. And your, we were, your narrator turned you down for like the biggest movie coming out this year. I, that, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. And it was right around that time I got a phone call from Tim Armstrong out of the blue. I think Christian from the Aquabats gave him my number. And Oh, uh, see another band we didn't mention. Oh, <laughs> the Aquabats. Yeah. And I got a call from Tim Armstrong out of the blue. He said, Hi, this is Tim from Rancid and Operation Ivy. And I, you know, his voice is so iconic, I knew who it was when he said hi. <laughs> and uh he just wanted to chat about the project. And at the time I just wanted to interview him for the film. And he was like, nah, I don't really want to do that. And you know, I don't really like being on camera these days. And have you guys thought about who you're going to have narrate this thing? I was like, yeah, we're looking at these people and talking to these people. And he's like, well, you know, if, uh, if you haven't picked somebody, I'd love to audition. <laughs> and I was like, oh, what, oh, okay. what a humble, yeah. awesome dude. Oh, that's I, so cool. Yeah. yeah, he he just, you know, he's just calling to find out about the project. And it took me like, I, I couldn't say yes right away because I had to talk to our producers and some other people. But, you know, it did not take 15 minutes to figure out that he was the perfect choice for this. And then, you know, he wanted to meet and talk about Ska and, and planet and he also had a lot of old operation ivy photos and videos that he wanted to show me that we could use in the film so i ended up going down to la and meeting with him to just talk about the project and he also scheduled our interview with the interrupters because he was working with them yeah too so just an incredible trip um got to hang out with tim armstrong and look at old operation ivy photos and talk about Talk about 90s ska for like two days we hung out. It's crazy. It's funny. It's funny you mentioned that he wanted to audition 
Um, it, it made me, it made me think of this quick anecdote. You, you ever seen the movie being John Malkovich? Oh yeah. So they, they write, they wrote the movie, you know, Spike mm-hmm. Jones and Michelle Gondry wrote, wrote being John Malkovich and presented it to John Malkovich and Malkovich, I guess, immediately said yes. But he said to them, what were you going to do? You wrote this whole script. What were you going <laughs> to do if I said no? And they go, oh, it easily could have just been being Sean Penn. <laughs> and I was like, all right, that's awesome. What a, what a perfect answer. So if you, if you had had to appease Tim Armstrong to right. come in and interview for a movie that you knew you were already auditioned, that you knew you were going to basically get, who, who would you, if you wanted to get Tim Armstrong shaken in his boots, who would you have had like, oh, well, we're interviewing this guy, this guy. I, I wonder who that would be because he's kind of like the godfather of all of it. For right. the third wave sky and like the nineties punk, you know, that's that's kind right. of his his kind of creation. <laughs> as weird as that sounds. Yeah, at the time we were only looking at, you know, actors and voice actors and people, you know, Hollywood folks. And we were trying to find people with some connection to ska. So Oscar Isaac would have been great. Um I think Patton Oswald had just done a like a rant about ska. Uh, yes, like he did. Lot- an improv about the pie tasters on uh, that show. Uh, I forget. It's a, a current sitcom about a school. I think he plays the principal. Yeah. I forget. Someone sent me the rant because they were like, Oh yeah. man, you'll love this. <laughs> right. Cause you're Scott. So we were reaching out to him as well. Uh, the, the ending of that story is that he does not actually know anything about Scott. And he was basing that on someone he knew. And so <laughs> It was like, thanks, but no thanks. But it was those kind of people. You know, we probably would have gone next to uh, oh, the guy from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, who was yep. in the, fam- the meme. <laughs> you know, people like that. And so it's, there isn't anybody really that compares with Tim Armstrong in the music side of it. You know, because... Well, it gives it, it, gives it immediate credibility. Band. Right, right. I wish we had had that at the beginning. If we had known, if we could have attached Tim Armstrong to the project when we started, it would have made the whole thing a lot easier because it does well, I, a lot of credibility. Well, and it's just this, you know, like you said, his voice is iconic, right? Like, even if you don't know who Tim, Tim Armstrong is, he right. has his, his cadence, the, the sound of his voice is that's what you think of when you think punk rock or, or Sky. You right. think this guy's voice, like, that's what somebody sounds like. Right. And a lot of people, you know, mainstream folks who don't know anything about ska music, they know the song Time Bomb. It's yes, they do. The ska songs they've ever heard. And so there is an immediate connection. You know, maybe it's subconscious, but there's still something there. You know, and it's, so would you would you say Tim Armstrong is your is your Kevin Smith for this film? You know, because you had taught the. Uh, a blockbuster movie, you know, that was like, you know, a game changer, right? You get to interview Kevin Smith on top of everyone else, right? Yeah. That you had that movie. It was probably the most surreal, but, you know, in the Ska movie, and I've been a fan of the music for a long time. I've met a lot of these people before, you know, we opened for Save Ferris and Real Big Fish and the Boston's back in the day. You so, bastard. That's <laughs> awesome. I knew a lot of these people and Fishbone and, and all these things but you know we got to interview tom demont from no doubt and and uh you know the roddy radiation from the specials and 
John Feldman from Goldfinger and a lot of these people who I've spent a lot of my life listening to their music. So, and Tim Armstrong is up there and it's, there wasn't really one with this one. It was kind of the whole thing all together and spending a day hanging out with uh, Christian from the Aquabats in their like office where they keep all of the props and costumes and crazy stuff. Like that was a surreal day <laughs> looking at yeah, they their uh, battle tram, the vehicle it's there. It's just, it's a real giant prop vehicle from the TV show. Just I love there. the Aquabats so much. The, the guar of ska music as it were. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the polar opposite, you know, yes. happy, happy, happy version of guar. Songs exactly. I just, I love, I love the props. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And they, they took it to a whole nother level and you know, we got to, because of the Aquabats, we got to interview Travis Barker for this, which is insane. It's insane. These are things that when, when we started this, I thought, Oh, maybe we'll get one person from real big fish and save Ferris. And maybe we'll get one of the Boston's and that'll be, That'll be huge, but we never thought we'd talk to anyone from Sublime or No Doubt or, um, you know, the Fishbone, the Specials, the Scatolites, like all these huge bands. We it just it grew, it grew from word of mouth, from talking to people and saying we want to make this movie about this scene that you were a part of, and and you you know by the time we approach John Feldman for an interview. He had heard of the movie. He knew what we were doing. You know, he's like, oh yeah, that, <laughs> that's that project that these other guys are talking about. You know, so the the Scott community really kind of came together around our project in a way that we never could have anticipated. We couldn't have even hoped for it. It was just uh hey, and you can't even plan for it. That 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 spreads the way old good music used to, right? You know, it's just right. Yeah. And then we ended up with the problem of having way too much footage and way too many interviews and too many great people involved. And we couldn't fit it all in. So we put, you know, there's uh, over 90 minutes of deleted scenes on the DVD because we wanted to make sure the the diehard fans could get Everybody all. got there. Yeah. Yeah. So you've been, what has it been, about six months now? You've been... Um going around the country with this thing or is it longer than that yeah. i don't even remember uh well we premiered it in newport beach at the newport beach film festival which was the night before back to the beach the ska music festival and so we had a huge sold out world premiere in orange county which is only fitting and then yeah that was in april so uh, it's been about six months of touring showing the movie all over the world. We've had sold out screenings in I think six countries now and all That's over the incredible. And people are, people are loving it. And now we have it up for sale, up for pre-order. We haven't actually shipped anything yet except for our Kickstarter rewards are shipping now. And people are, people are starting to check it out. And the people who didn't get to see it in the theaters, are going to get to see it and we're going to put it up, um, it should be up on Amazon Prime later this year so that even more people can see it. And I hope not just ska fans watch it. And I hope uh, people who are just curious about music or, 
you know, nostalgic for the nineties, or maybe they know who Travis Barker is or, or have heard of one of these bands and they check it out and maybe they are opened up to some new music that maybe they fall in love with. That's, that's kind of the goal. That's awesome. You'll, you'll start the fourth wave, man. Fourth <laughs> wave. It's coming. I think we're, I think we're past waves now, but we'll I see. Know. <laughs> oh man. Well, dude, this has been absolutely incredible. Um, I, I'm, I'm so happy you agreed to come back a second time. Um, you know, uh, this this is my little show, and I I love getting to talk to people that have, you know, talked to all of these people. You know, you, it, it really means the world that you uh, that you agreed to come on um, because you're just a blast to talk to. So you have an open invite if you ever have anything to hawk or you, something sparks in your head that you want to talk more because. Um, because because I, I I like talking to you a lot and can't wait to get out to Ben so we can hang out and have a beer or something. Yeah, that sounds great. All right, well, uh, you know, t- you just told people where you can get it, but I'll, I'll say it again. Pick It Up, Scott in the 90s is available um, almost immediately. Um, you should be able to jump onto their site and pre-order it, or it might already be available for order when this shows up. Um, Taylor Morton directed... Uh, you know, the movie about the last blockbuster, which is they're still working on and pick it up, Scott, in the 90s. And, uh, you know, give, give the people a send off. Tell them something, Taylor. Uh, yeah, I hope uh, I hope people will watch the movie and have a really good time doing it. And maybe they learn something or maybe they just laugh and have fun and and feel like they're maybe part of this community that's been going on for a really long time. And. And it uh, means a lot to a lot of people. So you can check it out at skamovie.com. And we're at, at skamovie on all the social media platforms. And he runs Pop Motion Pictures. So check them out too. Because I imagine these won't be the last things you do. I hope not. Yeah, um, not too. <laughs> so thank you, Taylor, for shooting the shit with Chippa. And thank you all for listening. And uh, we'll catch you all again soon. Bye. All right.